S-A-M-I-R-Y-E. Sammy Rye, we're here with another podcast with Sammy Rye. And this week, I want to talk about legacy. There's been some inspiring things going on I came across, mainly with, you know, Tom Cruise, some big achievements he achieved this week um, because of his new movie, Top Gun, and really because of his whole career. Also, I, I, I dipped my toe back into the world of Warcraft, not the game, but just seeing what that company is doing, Blizzard Activision, um, and how they kind of, where they've been for the last few years, because it used to be a really popular thing, and it kind of seems like they've gone away, but they really haven't. Um, and really, what they're doing, what Tom Cruise is doing, obviously what Marvel's doing, I don't know about DC, um, but a lot of these companies that we can learn from is they're trying to build legacy. They're trying to build something or continue on building something that's going to be around for a long time. And really, when you think about us as a species, we have you know a finite amount of time that we're here on the planet, right? Let's let's get right into the heavy lifting stuff on the podcast this week. You're gonna die, right? <laughs> and what does it matter, right? What does it matter to you? It can be different things to different people. I think sometimes it's uh, it's children, obviously. You want to leave something for your children. You want to teach them something. You want to you know continue on or help them in life, help out your grandchildren. Uh, maybe you don't have children. Maybe it's nieces and nephews. Maybe it's the world. Maybe it's the environment. Uh, maybe you care about mankind, right? There's all these different things that you want to, you know, I guess when you're getting to your end, you want to feel like it, it meant something or you did something with your life that you had. And you're building, you know, a legacy or you're impacting the world in some kind of a way. And it's it's really important to remember, you know, how long the game of life is, right? I mean, if you obviously pass away early or something like that or unexpectedly, then it's shorter. <laughs> but, I mean, it's still, your time is still your time. So whatever you did with your time is going to be what, you know, you're adding to your legacy and how you're impacting the world. I think, um, not to get too heavy into just the concept of death itself, but I think everyone has an impact they make in some way or, the, or another. I think um, the experiences we share with each other, your, your friends, the examples you, you make, the impressions you make on people, I think all of these things matter. And when you're working at something, how this applies to you when it comes to the art and the business side of the podcast, you know, I'm speaking to artists, speaking to entrepreneurs, they're doing something. The message I have is, you know, remember that you're doing this for your legacy, right? Whatever you do isn't just a question of, you know, if you go out and you're trying to, you know, make a book and sell a book tomorrow so you can become a millionaire, I don't think that works. I, I honestly don't know that you can ever bank on that. Um, a really good example was Psy, the guy, uh, the singer from, um, I believe, Korea, who did Gundam Style. I thought he had a very honest, um, great interview where he explained that, you know, he understood that his song was a phenomenon, meaning that he had no control over that. He had always been making music like that. He will continue to make music like that. And he had no expectation that he'd ever have a song as big as Gundam Style. Um, it just happened. It's just phenomenon. He, he, he didn't have really a control over it. He did the best he could do um, to make that song and the video and everything like he always did. And for some reason, that one at that time in history caught on and created that. And right after that was done, he went right back to doing what he always had done and had no worry or, um, you know, obsession about trying to somehow capture that phenomenon again. And every time I see Sai after that, he looks very happy and very content. I'm sure he's super successful because of that. But I mean, I think the real success comes in that mindset that he had where, 
you know, he was already doing things that made him happy. He was already making music and, and doing things he enjoyed. And that one thing caught on and he continued on to just take the opportunity and do other things. And, and he's happy of what he's doing and what he was trying to build. I always thought that was really inspiring about that particular person, something I took from them. Um, you know, what got me thinking about this was those two main things, is the Tom Cruise situation and World of Warcraft. So Tom Cruise's new Top Gun movie, which I dedicated last week's podcast to because I thought it deserved it. It was such a great movie. Um, I had to talk about it, you know, just for the whole podcast. It, it, it was the first movie in Tom Cruise's career to make a billion dollars. Now, that surprised me, right? Because I think billion dollars nowadays is the mark. People consider, like, if you could, like, when, you know, back in, like, 90s um, music, if you went platinum, if you sold a million copies of a record, that was a benchmark, right? And if you can go two times platinum, three times platinum, those things were nice. But the, the very top of it was diamond. But no one expected things to go diamond. But it was, like, 10 million copies sold of an album, made that legendary. So I feel like in a way, a billion dollars is kind of like going diamond. I mean, more movies now, I think on average, make a billion versus, well, I guess not really. I mean, you consider like every year there are billion dollar films. You have Fast and the Furious, Star Wars, and Marvel, right? So they probably only account for actually, now I think about it, maybe four or five movies a year versus probably 200 or 300 feature-length films that we hear about in the theater system, and I'm sure there's like maybe a thousand, I don't know, you know, feature-length films produced that we never even hear about, right? Like just independent films, straight-to-video kind of things. So really, I guess, yeah, I guess, you know, doing a billion is like going diamond, right? So if you look at it that way. And for Tom Cruise to have such a long career, I mean, I'm born in 85, his movies impact the late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, for him just to finally get to that point where he hit a billion, perhaps maybe another movie in his career at a different time financially, you would be able to say, oh, this movie made like 700 million. And maybe back in the 90s, that was a big deal. He's obviously had a lot of successful movies, but at this day and age, he's 59 years old to take a property from the 80s, a property like Top Gun. It's just a military movie. Technically, it's just about some jets, right? I think you, you can't just go out and make that movie. No one's going out making that movie tomorrow thinking they're going to make a billion dollars. But he and his team were able to pull that off in a world after Marvel. That's really important, right? So he did this after you have a society that's used to CGI. It's used to all these superheroes and all this spectacle. It's almost to the point where it's, it's just something that you, you don't even expect anymore. You can watch these TV shows nowadays these companies are making, and they look just as good as major motion pictures. You know, there's sometimes a six hours of content, and if you looked at it and watched it all in a row, it's like a long, epic movie that should cost, you know, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars to make. And they're, they're able to do this stuff all the time. They have, obviously, the best storytellers trying to work with these big companies. And then you have Tom Cruise come along, and he has an idea. And it's a very good story. I know it's not all Tom Cruise, but he gets to wear the, the feather in his cap because he is definitely the quarterback leading the team of writers, directors, everyone working together. It revolves around the brand, which is Tom Cruise. And to be 59 years old and to be some one of some of like I guess maybe maybe the last old actor from Hollywood um, still showing that the Hollywood system can do a big budget movie and have huge success without these other brands as Fast and the Furious, Star Wars, you know Marvel, DC to some extent. Um, sometimes I guess with the Batman and stuff like that that usually makes a billion. So 
that is such a huge accomplishment. And it's almost weird that Tom Cruise is kind of like the underdog in that situation. Because when it comes to big actors, did I don't think you can argue there's an actor bigger. There might be other actors as big, perhaps. But Tom Cruise is like the the last the last samurai, right? Pun intended, of of those those old actors that before they were the brand. You know, before it was very common to have Denzel Washington or Keanu Reeves. Just the name of an actor lets you know that this is the seal of approval. This movie's going to be good, and that's kind of drifted away. Where now you can have, you know, the Marvel brand. You can get a lesser known actor like um, Tom Holland in Spider Man, for example. Put that film out, and the first time out to theater, we're making a billion dollars, right? Because the Spider-Man and the Marvel in a situation is the brand. Tom Holland's a newer actor, but he's making, you know, he's made several movies technically that broke a billion dollars in a very short time in his career. So if you're looking at it that way, you look at someone like Tom Cruise and Tom Holland, one might say in some sense that, you know, as a box office star, Tom Holland's the bigger star. But that doesn't really that doesn't really paint a, a fair picture of how the whole landscape you know looks. So obviously, Tom Cruise has such an illustrious career that you know his legacy stands as it is. But to add, again, I have to mention at fifty nine years old to come out and still be breaking records. I believe another record that that movie broke was it made the highest grossing you know box office for Memorial Day weekend. A record I think that was held by Pirates of the Caribbean for about five or six years, something like that. Um, another big franchise that used to, as a franchise, almost always make a billion dollars. Um, that's a lot to do, and there really is no other stars in the movie, like big, big stars. Miles Teller's like an up-and-coming star. Um, I mean, that's kind of all on Tom Cruise's back. He has the whole Scientology backlash. I definitely think my generation who grew up on him, there's a big chunk of my generation that stopped supporting him because of, I don't know if it's because of Scientology, I think because of how it was talked about and how it was handled. So I don't think, I don't I hate to put it all on Scientology itself. I don't have an opinion on Scientology, but I think that, you know, a lot of people turned away from Tom Cruise. I know there's a lot of other movies he made that people don't watch. His Mission Impossible movies are, always do pretty well. But to see that he's able to pull that off, that's amazing. And it's inspiring, I think, to all of us. It should be inspiring to all of us. Because when you look at what he's doing, he could have been hung it up. He could have been, you know, gone to a coasting kind of mode. A lot of people, I think you might even say from his generation, have done that. I definitely think there's a lot of people from his generation who are not trying everything they can to keep, you know, innovating and keep doing things. They don't have to. That's not, you know, you don't have to go that hard for that long if you don't want to. But I think it is inspiring to see that someone is doing it, showing that it can be done. And he's doing it, again, at such a high level. Um, and that's just what I think that we should look at. When you're building something, when you're building a brand, even if it's like a pizzeria or something like that, a, ch- a chain or a store, clothing line. You know, I, I always like when I go to like a pizzeria or a, pizza, or a food place, basically. And sometimes like that establishment's been open for like three generations. Like that's amazing to think that someone came... They established that restaurant, and they've been able to keep it going for multiple generations. Whenever you have a business like that, you're building legacy. You're building something that outlasts, right? Because whoever that person was who first started it, they built something when there was, you know, relatively probably nothing for their family or anything that they could 
passed down and then you're able to create something and also raise children or people that could you know take it on and keep it going and then make it into something else that's i think it's a very impressive thing to do and also i think it paints a more accurate picture of what life is how long time is right that segues over into world of warcraft world of warcraft has had, I feel like, three distinctive life cycles that everyone might not be aware of. So if you don't know, World of Warcraft, just Warcraft by itself, one word. When I was very young, it was an early computer game. And at the time, it was a game where like you would basically build a small city, and the person you were fighting with was building a small city or camp, however you want to look at it, a village. And then you would train soldiers, and then your soldiers would fight each other, but the thing was you had to still maintain your village because if the other soldiers came and they destroyed your village, that's how they would really would win because they take away your ability to build and train soldiers. So it's kind of like a little simulation of like how you would have, you know, I guess in real life how, you know, societies create a society, a village, something to live in, and then they build a military and then they go out and like try to take over the world, right? So it was a very fun. They called these real-time strategy games. They were popular on the PC, especially in the 90s. And Warcraft was one of those games. I don't feel like Warcraft was the game. It had like a you know a, a future to it, but it wasn't like the big game. Um, I think at that time, Age of Empires was um, the more known game, and it was definitely like probably like the Call of Duty of that generation. Um, Starfield, not Starfield, uh, Starcraft actually. Starcraft is the other version that I think maybe was a bit more popular. Um, Warcraft made, made, made a Warcraft Part 2, I think by Warcraft 3, that game had become decently popular on the PC world, and it, it shows like there was, a, there was a small story, there were some main characters, but I feel like at the time in society, people liked Warcraft, sure. Was it the biggest thing ever? I don't think so. I mean, it was definitely a brand, but like, they were building something, they were building a legacy, right? When World of Warcraft came out, they did not invent that type of game. There was another game called RuneScape that shows you how to do the online games. I believe even EverQuest, technically. I think EverQuest or EverQuest 2 came up with the formula, the way that you play an online game. And World of Warcraft kind of came and copied. So they didn't even invent that style. But they they made World of Warcraft... They took some of their characters that to most of the world was not really known. If, if you're a Warcraft fan, you knew. But when I tried World of Warcraft as a kid, and all my friends who tried, none of us really knew the, the Warcraft characters. We tried the game. The game played very well, and it created some concepts that you still see being executed today. Number one, it had, it had a good art style. That was simplified, much like Disney, how Disney kind of does cartoons. They don't go for extremely high detailed and expensive animation. Typically, like a movie like Aladdin or Lion King has a very good balance of just enough lines, just enough colors to give you a beautiful picture, but not, not have it be too, too expensive and too detailed. And then also to try to have a good story. Warcraft did that. Fortnite now does that. Fortnite owes a lot of its success to the design choices of Warcraft, World of Warcraft to be more specific. And I feel like World of Warcraft also really brought home the concept of meta. The idea that you can have a fictional story that somehow is aware 
of the reader's world. It can make jokes about it. So, like, if you have a character in World of Warcraft maybe referencing pop culture, uh, maybe they fall over and say, did I do that? Much like Steve Urkel from, like, the TV show Families Matters. Um, you know, the in, a, in this fantasy setting, that character shouldn't know about our world or be able to make that joke. And it, it was a very funny and different and refreshing way to do fantasy, which a lot of times traditionally was very heavy-handed and very thou and, and thy and all kind of old school, basically. World of Warcraft created a very unique new environment, which again, I believe, is also echoed in, in Fortnite. Fortnite literally gets characters from popular, you know, franchises. They pay for them to be in their game and uh, and they sell it and make a bunch of money, right? It's kind of the, the Fortnite is so much World of Warcraft. People sometimes think, where did World of Warcraft go? It's Fortnite now, basically. It's a different company kind of copying that success. Um, and in some ways, World of Warcraft became Overwatch, which is another Activision game that tried to also simplify and and make success that way. And that's my point. See, people think World of Warcraft kind of disappeared. It is technically still an online game. It is technically still financially successful. But it really transformed into two other things. And the legacy now is not about the name Warcraft so much, but more about Activision Blizzard. So the company Activision came and bought Blizzard, which is the makers of World of Warcraft. And they've they've went off and they did two other two, two other things. So World of Warcraft was a great PC game and still makes money on the PC. But modern day shooters are like the number one way people play games. It's just it just works the best for some reason. When you're playing a video game controller, I guess it's similar to kind of a gun. It just works the best way. So they made a game called Overwatch. Overwatch is a very successful game. I'm sure they're making a bunch of money off of Overwatch. It may not be the number one game. It may not be Fortnite. It may not be Call of Duty. I'm not really sure, at least like right now, financially, where Overwatch is. But again, it created a bunch of new characters, simplified art style, simplified game design, and they're having success there. They're also having success, like I said, with World of Warcraft Online. And there's another game on the phone, mobile phone devices, called Hearthstone. Hearthstone is a card game, much like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon trading cards, but there is no physical version of, of that game. You can't go to the store and buy those cards. It only exists as a card video game. And I was not aware of this until recently, but they sell packs of cards the same way that you would sell cards in stores, except they don't have to print any of these cards. So they they do have animations and special effects and stuff, which you can have in a video game, which you can't have in real life. So there's definitely some money involved in creating that. However, they don't have to actually, you know, have a warehouse with stock and produce physical cards and ship them to retailers and they, they completely skipped that whole process, and they only exist in a digital form. And they're making a ton of money that way, too. Some, some of the most highest-priced items I've ever seen in mobile gaming exist in Hearthstone, where, like, when a new season comes out, I think they do three seasons a year, these packs of cards cost $80. That's more than the price of one video game. So it, it would seem as if World of Warcraft is not as successful anymore, but like I mentioned, it became Overwatch. That's one revenue stream. It's still making money off of World of Warcraft. They now sell cosmetic items and pets and other digital things. They didn't used to sell before, so they have less people playing. But people who are playing on average are spending more money than they used to spend on World of Warcraft. Back when it was successful, people paid about $15 a month to play World of Warcraft and maybe bought one game a year. Now, 
Um, there's all kinds of cosmetics and pets and things that you can buy all the time, 24-7. And you have to look at, you know, the fact that now in Hearthstone, they're selling these packs of cards, just basically selling art, three times a year for $80 a pop. And then there's all these little decks of cards you can buy for $5, $3 throughout the year. We've heard of success from like Pokemon training cards, maybe Magic the Gathering, how those things are financially successful. So Warcraft is split off and kind of created like three children, right? And overall, for Activision and Blizzard, all these new revenue streams. And through these other mediums, they've created more characters and they've strengthened their story. Now, sometimes I feel like something like Marvel and DC is currently more popular and more well-known. But I definitely think there's a case to be argued that stuff like Fortnite, stuff like World of Warcraft are laying the foundations for characters and story that perhaps in maybe 10 more years, 20 more years, those things will have a very, very rich legacy to build off of and then may be able to step into the limelight and compete with these other big brands. They did try to make a World of Warcraft movie. I do feel like in some ways film is the pinnacle of art because it involves pretty much all the art forms so you have to have music in film writing you have to have acting you have to have voice acting you have to have directing cinematography i mean i feel like you know design clothes uh, every single thing that humans can do artistically has to go into a film most of those things have to go into a video game but not all of them necessarily so like Acting isn't always featured in a video game. Perhaps voice acting, yes. But there is um, some human elements, I feel like, that are missing from video games that make it hard for humans overall to to relate. It's the same thing with CGI films, right? We like movies like Toy Story. They're very good. Do I think that you could get to a society where you completely replace the actor? I don't think that'll ever happen. I think ultimately humans are still going to want to watch humans to... Uh, at least the majority of them. I don't know if we'll ever get to a society. I could be wrong, but I don't think we'll ever get to a society where we completely, you know, be okay with just consuming digital humans all the time. Um, there are other countries like Japan and stuff where they don't have the same kind of Hollywood industry, and it is more common for adults to view animated material or material that doesn't involve actual human actors. But I feel like in that situation, it's because they don't have the choice. Um, when our movies go to overseas, they do very, very well. It doesn't go the other way around. So animated films that do very well overseas don't always translate well to America. So I feel like that that's is why I'm saying that I think having the human element overall with all the other things combined will always make those things more successful. So really, well, I'm thinking of all these things that factor in what I want to put out into the world this week, what I want to hopefully inspire people is to remember that when you're building something, you're building legacy. When you're raising your kids, you're building legacy. When you're having relationships with your friends, you know, some of you guys are going to be here longer than others, right? You're building legacy. You're leaving an impression. You're setting an example. And whatever the art is that you're interested in, or whatever the business is that you're interested in, you're building, is something that you're hopefully making that will continue on beyond you. And I think that's really important when it comes to time. You know... The thing about World of Warcraft, you know, that story may be as old as me, right? So it's still not at its pinnacle. I definitely think you could say that even with all its success and different money that it's making, it hasn't reached the very forefront 
of pop culture like it probably should. I would maybe even argue still that Lord of the Rings possibly is still on average more well known than World of Warcraft to the average person. And again, it's because of the success of those films. Well, the Warcraft's film was not successful. Um, hopefully one day they'll go back to that and try to figure it out. But that did not work very well. It worked very well in China, but did not work very well completely around the world. So I think that it maybe has, maybe I don't know, I can't tell the future. But I think that they're building a very strong legacy that's going to show in maybe five or ten years that World of Warcraft is, a Warcraft I guess you would call it, is a bigger brand than it might seem. I'm sure financially it's very successful, but there's a lot of people that are involved in maintaining those video games and stuff. There's a lot of money that you see on paper, but there's a lot of companies, or a lot of people at that company, at Activision Blizzard, that you have to pay. There's lots of unsuccessful games they make and things that they do that you have to kind of recoup money from, so it's a whole different beast. With Tom Cruise, you know, going back to that as the other example, you know, this, that's more of a, I feel like, a one person trying to make a point. I feel like Tom Cruise, overall in his career, has tried a lot to kind of show, like, what a single person can do. Not that he's done everything by himself, but he obviously prides himself on, you know, trying to do as many stunts as he can. I saw, like, recently he flew a helicopter to show up to, like, a premiere or something like that. Um, and, you know, you, you see these stories from him all the time, but they are inspiring when you think about how he's trying to show... His legacy, I think, really shows about how much one person can do. Not just with acting, but all the different aspects of his life that he tries to push himself to see what else can he learn, what else is he possible of doing. I do like that story, and I feel like the story is kind of not told as much. I feel like people don't look at Tom Cruise as if, like, he's someone that we can learn from anymore. And I really feel like a lot of it, again, has to do with that whole Scientology thing, because as a kid, I feel like most people had no issue with Tom Cruise, who everyone knew... Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Denzel Washington, Will Smith, these are like these are like the greatest actors of our time, right, growing up. No one had an issue with them. And then over time, people start to develop different issues with different people based on like, you know, things they did off the screen or things they did when they weren't creating art. And I always think that's a bit disappointing because it kind of distracts from the fact that, you know, everyone does things that we don't like, and but they also don't make billion dollar films. Right? So like and we're very quick to, like, destroy our celebrities and take away how we look at them. But then, like, our friends will give them passes for their mistakes. And it's just kind of a weird thing where, like, I think we like to kind of destroy these bigger things for whatever reason. And I just want to kind of point out that, you know, how that I think that relates to us on an individual level is hopefully whatever you're focused on this week or whatever you're working on this week, you remember it's a long game here. Gary Vee talks about this all the time, so I'm not really saying anything new. I'm just trying to use some examples that I've come across recently that I think matter. And, and you know, five years ago, what you were doing, like what you're doing now, five years from now, may not really matter at all. I mean, I recently, I talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast. I was going through a move. I am now officially moved, still unpacking. I think I have like one, two, two or three more rooms to do before I move into like try to set up my studio. So maybe another week two weeks maybe until that's hopefully completely done but i'm also under the weather i think being in this new environment i got somehow got a cold like the air is different or the area is different but being here for just a few days at first it was very weird like living in a hotel it it felt very like unfamiliar 
Like this place was not mines. Everything was 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 wrong. Um, from like the doorknobs I would touch to like the floor I'm walking on, like everything felt like I don't belong here. It's not mine. And then uh, even the commute I was making, the trips I was making, driving around to do something simple as going to a store, finding new restaurants, every single thing changed. So after about, I guess, a, a little bit more than a week, now I can feel like things are starting to settle in. Where now I think I feel like I wake up in my home. Now I'm, I'm walking around and I can see my neighbors and I can see my grass. I'm starting to get that familiarity with it, which is weird considering my previous spot that I lived in. I was there for about three years and I can already feel whatever happened there starting to not matter as much. Or at least feel like it doesn't matter. It's starting to feel like I'm not from that area anymore. And if I go back beyond that, five years, you know, four or five years ago, I was living in a different area and that almost none of that life seems to matter. That place, my landlord, the people I interacted with, my kids and their friends and what they were doing at the time, and the problems we had and the, the things we were worried about, those things seem like they really don't matter. That's just five years ago. So whatever you're struggling with when you're dealing with right now, it's going to feel like a problem. I, like I said, like I felt weird a week ago when I'm just being in the place that I'm at now. But over time, these things don't become as much of a problem anymore. And watching, you know, we'll go back as far as I can think of six years. When I first had my daughter, that was a very difficult year for me. Um, having a, a fresh, brand new uh, one-year-old or, you know, zero days to one-year-old. That first year of raising a, a human who couldn't do anything for themselves uh, required so much time and energy. I mean, at the time, it being so stressful, trying to balance that, also going to work and maintaining the rest of my family and, and almost having no time to ever focus on my artistic endeavors and stuff. That was a very, very, very difficult time. Perhaps the most difficult time of my life. I'm not sure. Um, and it lasted, it felt like, for a very long time. Now, you know, my daughter being around six years old, going on seven years old, now she can do so much. I find sometimes she's even helpful where she makes things in life a bit easier while I'm interacting with her. And she brings new ideas and new things to the table. So, like... That's another example of something that's growing and legacy and so much things that I've done with her over the years. I can see them kind of paying dividends now and forever when it comes to the way I interact with her and the way she inspires me and, and all the things that, that come positive about that relationship. And you see that with friends. You have friends that you know you put time into and hopefully they put time into you and you guys grow over those years. So I want to just focus a lot this week on legacy. I hope we're reminding you guys that you know we have lots of time you know, here on this planet, right? And in a way, you know, especially being Sammy Rye and some of the concepts that I used to like to really think about, it's it's two things that are both true. You know, I do like to wake up in the morning and feel like I need to get the most out of my day. I could die tonight, right? That I think there's 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 something about you, you want to live a purposeful day. However, there has to be long-term plans and long-term goals that you're comfortable with. So like you have to get the most out of your day but also remember that like it's it's a long game too, right? If it ends premature, well, you're not going to know because it ended, right? And I think if you, you use both of those mentalities, you're going to build enough and leave enough that's there. You've probably already done it. You've probably already built enough. You've probably already built a, 
enough for two people. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're a friend of mine or you're someone who likes these concepts and you like to come back and check week after week or whenever you guys get a chance to listen to the podcast and you like searching for more, you like chasing those kind of things, I feel like, honestly, you probably already done, you know, you know two or three lifetimes worth of things. I, another interesting thing, I might, I might just do a, a single shorter episode this week. I don't really feel like there's a need for a break to go into like the second part of the podcast. Another interesting thing I did this week um, that goes into this legacy thing was I got some updated information on my Ancestry.com and 23andMe and stuff. I got my mom to do the test, which was kind of a big deal because those websites are difficult. Um, they, they, they provide you like answers and questions. There's not many answers I feel like so far I've come across, but also more questions. And one thing was like if you get your parents to do them, they they kind of increase the accuracy and give you some more insight into what uh, you got going on on that website. So my mom did it, and it did increase the accuracy. It did give me more information, and I found some other people that were kind of closer to me, trying to understand kind of my legacy and where I come from, or if I have family members that came from a certain area, or what does that even mean. And I got like more information that kind of led me to, to understand that I'm part British and Irish mainly. I might have a smaller part of me that's like German and French. And I'm like, okay, cool. I know that now. But like, it also means nothing. Like, what does it mean? Right? How can I relate this? What can I do with this information? So it felt hollow. Whereas like, I answered a question because I don't know who my father is. I don't really, I don't really know my father, I guess you would say. I don't know my culture. Um, And this is a weird concept where like, I guess even if you told me, well, you're British and Irish, that doesn't instantly give you culture, right? You don't instantly connect suddenly with, you know, people from the UK or people from Ireland. My ancestors look like, you know, come from actually the UK. So even like when it says that you, you're um, British and Irish, the thing is, from a genealogical standpoint, those two people have very similar genes. They're not really two different people, except they're different culture-wise, so, like, DNA-wise, they're kind of the same people, but their cultures are different. So, that brings up the question that even if I am, have, or have DNA similar to Irish people, if my family um, don't, aren't Irish, if they don't celebrate the Irish culture, or maybe they somehow, like, you know, stopped celebrating the Irish culture and just became more British, I, you don't know what your family did generations ago and how you guys all got here, right? Like, what they were actually into. Um yeah, they're like, it's not your culture anymore. I mean, you can see that in modern days. If someone moves from one area to a different area, like my kids, I grew up in Camden, right? So I grew up in Camden, New Jersey. It's a predominantly uh, African-American, Latino-American community, and it's the inner city, one of the worst inner cities in, you know, in the country. It's a very small city, but for it being really small, it's pretty bad. But there's a culture that's there. There's definitely... Um, Things that you do, places you go, attitudes and, and you know principles that you hold dear, values and all these things. And as I move throughout my life, my kids are growing up in very different areas. So even though that's my history and I had those experiences, it's not necessarily becoming their culture because all those values don't carry over. They're not all enforced in my house. And even if they're enforced in my house, they're not reinforced by the community or the schools that they go to. It's a different society. So culture even changes that way. So it's interesting as I look through this information with all this DNA and all this science and I see this legacy, I don't see that consistent story that's there. So I guess that's the difference where like my actual story 
that I know from my mother's side of the family, that's kind of like the legacy I'm building off of. I constantly feel like I'm kind of continuing on whatever my grandfather had done on my mother's side. I feel like that's the legacy I'm a part of. And I guess I would like to know if there's some other kind of legacy I'm supposed to be a part of from my other side of the family, but I don't know them. So, again, I feel like that kind of ties into what we're talking about. As you're going forward and you're building things, you have those two things that are true. You have every day, you get the most out of it, but there's also this long-term thing. And really, you know, I guess to tie that into the ancestry thing, you know, if you're at a stage in your life where you feel like maybe you're not building your legacy or you don't know where you, what part you play in that story, you can start now. You can completely start over. In some ways, I feel like I've been alive for one week. In other ways, I know I've been alive for almost 37 years, right? Because right now, what I'm doing this week is the only thing that really matters. I don't have any control over what I did two weeks ago. And honestly, if I want to have a good week next week, it really only happens for what I do right now. So hopefully those are things that I'm putting out there to you guys. Hopefully you guys found this episode useful. I don't want to be really long-winded and be dead horse. I feel like this is a good amount of time for this topic on the podcast. There's some things going on in entertainment, but I'll let that boil over and we'll, we'll kind of catch up and do the whole entertainment wrap-up next week. Um, I'm playing right now Hearthstone. I'm getting back into that. Definitely enjoying that. I want to see Top Gun again. That's going to be a movie I buy as soon as it comes out because those are two things that I'm really feeling a lot right now. And yeah, as I keep on building and unpacking and getting my stuff together, hopefully in a week or two, I'll have some new kind of media that you guys can check out if you're interested in the content. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week to the podcast. Again, I hope you guys take this stuff to heart and use it. Use this energy I'm putting out there to do good things in your week. You have a great day, all right? I'm Sammy Rye. Peace.